Yes, Poland is holding elections uh, this weekend. It's one of the most important in recent decades because of the two very different paths offered by the major parties. I mean, it may be a cliche, but democracy probably is on the ballot paper this time. The ruling Law and Justice Party, the PIS or the PiS, seeks a third term in government. The opposition centrist party, Civic Platform, wants to win and to restore some democratic institutions plus relations with the EU. And of course, the Ukraine war is just down the road. What is at stake here in what's been a very nasty campaign? For more, I'm joined now by Professor Martin Krigia. He's a very thoughtful Australian-based commentator on Polish politics who joins me now from Riga in Latvia. Hello, Martin. Thanks, Geraldine. Happy to be with you. Martin, what's the level of polarisation in in Polish society at the moment? I mean, it's always a feature of election campaigns, but is it of a different order this time, would you say? It's of a different order, certainly from any time after 89. In under communism, the uh, when when things were collapsing, Poles divided the country between them and us, and them was the regime, and us was the society. Now it's a little more complicated because them is the regime and its supporters and us, uh, the people in the opposition, which is, as you mentioned, civic platform at the head, but a number of other parties as well, which complicates that story. But the pop, the polarisation between peace and anti-peace is extraordinary, quite extraordinary, very bitter. It's not uh, opponents, it's friends and enemies. It runs through families. It's dramatic. And look, you know, I've heard it referred to as sort of an apocalyptic <laughs> type of language has been used, a real sort of existential fears being expressed. Um, you know, people like Donald Tusk, who is the um, the centrist opponent, his loyalty being questioned, being a sort of German agent. I mean, this is extreme. German and Russian. German and Russian God. agent. Well, what, it's, it's, what's it's provoked just, all this? Uh, he had been a very successful premier until he stood down when he was appointed president of the European Commission for two terms, and then his party lost. And he is a remarkably effective, normal politician. The leader of peace, PIS, the surviving twin of the two twins, the Kaczynski twins, his brother was killed horribly in a plane accident, is dramatically apocalyptic man and he only sees friends and enemies perhaps i think because he actually does see the world that way i don't know him personally but also because it is part of the populist playbook works very effectively for him has worked very effectively for him but some of the wheels appear to be coming off and uh, so it's going to be a very close election but it is dramatic the language is stuff that even in well, especially in delicate Australia, you wouldn't hear. You wouldn't hear any of this apocalyptic language. Mm. One should qualify that with one thing, which is important, both in Hungary, which is a leader in this sort of politics, and Poland. No one is getting killed or jailed. And so far, so good, but it's a very important thing to keep in mind. Sure. Partly that's because Europe is around. Are there divisions rural to urban? Are there different education issues at stake? Is it religion versus from- secular? There is that too. Rural-urban is is important because it goes along with a lot of those other divisions. So rural and old and east and southern versus uh, urban and younger and northern-western, 
these are all important divisions between a kind of his take, his sales pitch is for conservative, Catholic, rural base, and that's at least half of the people who vote for him, and they're rusted on. A recent book, which has just come out very interestingly, says the electorate is half, roughly half, these people who would vote for him with a passion, and the other half they call cynics, who are in it for the gifts, because a lot of gifts come out at each election. Right. And they are swingable, maybe. But also the whole atmosphere has turned slowly against them, or so it appears. They're not dramatically ahead in any way now, and it could be very, very close. The general narrative, certainly, you know, heard in the West, is that there's a democratic backsliding underway, uh, under peace, particularly around access to, say, abortion and women's rights and LGBTQ rights, plus, of course, the extraordinarily important judiciary changes. Now, in your view, what are other observable shifts that have occurred under them? I'm not a fan of the word backsliding, which everybody uses, because you could say of me, I used to be young and energetic and now I'm old and slow, and all right, I've slid back a bit. But that's a natural process. This was very much a driven process. That is, the leaders have subverted and abused the system systematically, coherently and cumulatively. So you've mentioned some of the things. The attack on the judiciary is dramatic. So they've taken over the uh, Constitutional Tribunal, which is important. They've taken over the Supreme Court. They've got the body which appoints judges, and they're doing that methodically. But, of course, there are 10,000 judges. So still, that's not completely in their hands. They've completely transformed public television into a uh, government spokesman of a sort that hasn't been seen in that country since the communists had their own TV. They've attacked independent groups, not physically attacked, but attacked in in various ways, financial ways and other ways. So if we talk just of backsliding and a couple of examples, you don't get the sense that is powerful that this is a campaign to centralise power of a sort that's not been seen since 1989. But it's not there yet, but it's important. The the trend is important. What do you think will happen? At the moment, it's pretty close, although the polls I've seen put PIS in front by about 37% to 30%. So obviously there's going to be a coalition, whatever happens, or that's what it seems like. Do you agree? Yes, I mean, I I think either way is going to have to be a coalition, and that's important for a technical reason, because straight after the collapse of communism, when the first democratic elections happened, there were scores of parties. So a system was put in which made a threshold of 5% for parties and 8% for coalitions. The opposition overall, that is, uh, civic platform plus the left party plus the centre-right party, is ahead well ahead. The trouble is, if the uh, centre-right party, which is a coalition, doesn't get its 8%, it drops out of the picture. If the left doesn't get its 5%, it drops out of the picture. So suddenly, it depends who you can get a coalition with. There's a right-wing, libertarian, anti-European, anti-migration party called Confederation, which likely, if it gets in, would be a coalition partner for peace, which is also already a coalition. If Again, if they don't get over the 5% mark, then everything changes. So just because of that technical feature, but not only because of it, 
it's very, very hard to predict in a right. close election. Polling day is also going to be referendum day uh, yep. as people are being asked to vote on four questions about whether people supported the sale of state assets to foreign entities. What Do you support raising the retirement age to 67 for men and women? Do you support the acceptance of thousands of illegal immigrants from the Middle East and Africa because they're saying the European bureaucracy is uh, forcing that upon them? Do you support the removal of the barrier on the border between the Republic of Poland and the Republic of Belarus? So look, what's all this about? This is a very dirty and tricky campaign on behalf of the government, and this is part of it. This is a referendum unlike the referendum we're about to have, which is a real referendum, about a particular issue where there's a no side and a yes side, something's going to follow it. These four propositions, which are done in a language even more colourful than you reported, as just part of the election campaign, nobody is said, none, no one in the opposition is has a policy which is being criticised here. The gist of it is this is the difference between us and them. Mm. Uh, So the sale of foreign assets, the text says, leading to the loss of control of Polish women and men over strategic sectors of the economy. (laughs) Now, nobody's doing it. Actually, Peace has sold a lot of foreign assets. But the accusation is that this is what you would get if you vote for them. There are two things. It's part of the electoral campaign because it's trying to say, if you vote for them, this is what you're going to get, though there's no evidence of that. Secondly, there are strict financial limits on what money can go to parties in the electoral campaign, but there are no financial limits on what money can be put for the referendum. So a whole range of state-owned assets, including banks, can put as much money as they want into this. The referendum will go through if it gets over 50%. If it gets under 50%, it's it's failed, so it doesn't matter what the vote is. But to not vote in the referendum, you have to decline, and it's recorded, the card that is given to you. In the sorts of places where peace is popular, small towns, villages, etc., that's a public act, not an easy act. It's a referendum with no tangible result except... Have you stopped beating your wife? These are the questions that are being asked. Well, uh, that's an amazing overview. Um, And we'll know the result. Will we know the result by Monday? Uh, I doubt it, particularly if uh, there are problems about coalition building. I think it'd be very unlikely to get a quick result. And the Ukrainians, of course, I should add, will be watching this with great interest, won't they? Oh, absolutely, because for electoral reasons... Poland, which has been very good on Ukraine, Polish people have been very good in accepting millions of uh, refugees. And the government has been helpful because they're next on the list. During the campaign, the government has, at least rhetorically, turned against Ukraine, not against it in the sense that it doesn't support in the war, but Ukrainian grain was being funneled through Poland, and some of it, of course, because there's a lot of corruption, was leaking and undercutting farmers' prices, and this became an issue to PISA's uh, supporters. So that has been banned by the government. It's also had very acrimonious rhetoric between Zelensky and Duda, the Polish president and the Polish prime minister. At the moment, he can't make a true statement. He's, <laughs> he's known as P- Pinocchio. For, for important reasons. Uh, so it's a, def- it's a very, very delicate situation because it's an important one. What we haven't mentioned is foreign policy. Poland has deliberately alienated Germany, 
which is hugely important to it, alienated Europe, which is, of course, fundamentally important to it, and is in the process of alienating Ukraine. It was on very good terms with Trump. It's on less good terms, but not bad terms, with Biden. Trouble is everyone needs Poland because it's a big country in front uh, of, uh, of the war. Mm. All right. Thank you very much indeed for joining us from Riga, Martin Krieger. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Martin is the Gordon Samuels Professor of Law and Social Theory at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and currently uh, a visiting fellow at the Institute for Human Sciences in Vienna. And we apologise for that rather funny noise that you could hear. We just couldn't get that was some glitch we could not remove. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.